You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. sure there are consequences to the choices that we make or how about this god's laws doesn't really apply to you in this particular case it's for another age it's for a victorian age a bygone age all of the things that are written in the bible was written for another society another culture another generation but it doesn't relate to us You see, today we are more sophisticated, you see. And so Satan comes and seeks to rationalize our indulging ourselves after the appetites of the flesh. In today's message, Pastor Mike will remind you that your actions will always have consequences. The world we live in will try to tell you that there are no consequences for your actions. The world will tell you that you can do anything you want to as long as you're happy. The philosophy of the world essentially says that if you're happy, then what you're doing can't be bad. Even if it clearly violates the guidelines set out by God, God gave the biblical guidelines to help us through life, not to torture us. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Christian's Warfare. Finally, so obviously uh, Paul is kind of winding down now his exhortations, final instructions, exhortations. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We'll talk about some of the ways that he tempts uh, God's people, some of those wilds. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which uh, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Uh, This sort of goes along with the wiles of the devil, that is, the fiery darts. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then finally, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication, for all of the saints. The Christian's warfare. Okay, 
we move into the last section of the book of Ephesians as we complete our Alive in Christ series. And since we began our study some six months ago in this book, we have learned many things, haven't we? We've learned, for example, how rich we are in Christ. We've gone through a catalog of all of the many blessings that God has provided for his kids. We've also learned who we are in Christ. We've talked about our responsibilities in Christ. So therefore, in light of these things, all of the things that are a part of our marvelous calling, Paul here, in this last chapter, in this last section, deals with the subject of Christian warfare. And that is how to be victorious in all things that is in Christ. So once again, let's go back to verse 10. Notice, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So that brings us to our first point this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. Before we go to battle. Before we go to battle. Now, before we go to battle and address the various resources that God has made available to us, I want to draw your attention to certain things that are absolutely fundamental things that we need to know and understand. And the first of which is, the Bible frequently uses the images of war to depict the Christian life. And there are many verses of Scripture that suggest exactly that. For example, 2 Timothy in chapter 2, in verse 3, Paul is exhorting Timothy, and he says, Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So listen, gang, whether you like it or not, each one of us are called to be good soldiers and fight the good fight. So Christianity, I want you to understand that, is a battle. And that's exactly, for the most part, you're going to experience that. Christianity is a battle, and we need to approach it with that kind of an attitude. We need to see it for what it really is. Yes, there are many blessings, but there are going to be times where you are going to be called by God to battle so that you might maintain your Christianity. So that's the first thing that I wanted to uh, draw to your attention before uh, we go into this battle and, and address all of these resources. Secondly, I want you to take notice of the fact, notice in verse 11, the enemy is The devil, what does it say there in verse 11? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is our enemy. So what are we talking about the wiles? When Paul uses that word wiles or fiery darts, as I I had mentioned that they're connected, they're one and the same. Where we're talking about the methods that the devil uses to bring you down the strategies that he uses, the deceits that he uses. And we'll go through those, uh, talk some more about them this morning here in our study. But So anyway, the second thing that I want to draw your attention to before we get into the battle, before we get into the warfare part of this, is that the enemy is the devil. And then thirdly, I want you to understand that the battle that we're engaged in is a spiritual one. And therefore, notice what it says in verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Pastor Mike, I thought you just said that our enemy is the devil. But here, it seems as if we're being told otherwise. Well, listen, all of these guys are under control, you see, of the devil. They're all a part of a spiritual army organized under the headship of the devil, and their object is to defeat you, to destroy your relationship with the Lord. Now, under this heading, the battle is a spiritual one. I want to give you a cross-reference, and I think that this is important. You know, seeing how that the battle is a spiritual one, we must use spiritual weapons. Don't you wish you could just go after the devil with a baseball bat? Well, first of all, I wouldn't suggest that any of you do that because he's a very formidable uh, enemy. And, uh, you know, Michael the archangel, we are told in the book of Jude, couldn't withstand the devil himself. One of the most powerful, think about it, one of the most powerful angelic creatures that God had created couldn't even withstand the devil, but rather rebuked him in the name of Jesus. And that's how he was defeated, you see. So he's a very formidable enemy. And uh, so you can't use any kind of carnal weapons to defeat him. It, 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 the, the warfare is being waged in the spiritual realm. And therefore, we have to use spiritual weapons. Like, for example, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, we are told, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And we're going to talk about those weapons, those resources that God has made available to us in just a moment. So, listen, let me reassure you, okay? Actually, warn you would probably be a better word. You're not going to be victorious because you make some New Year's resolutions, you know, to be victorious. Listen, that's not going to get the job done. Okay, so how do we stand? How are we victorious? Well, that brings us to our next point, and that is the armor of God. So if you're taking notes, write this down, the armor of God. Now, before we get into the various articles that are a part of the armor of God, I want you to take note of, in both verses 11 and 13 of our text, that we are told to put on the whole armor of God you better make sure that you're not vulnerable in any area, okay, whereby we open ourselves up uh, to the attacks of the enemy. You know, if I can use this as an example or an illustration, we're, the, well, in fact, it's, it's a, a biblical one. You know, we are, we are, uh, we are sort of like a, a house. Uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there are different entrances into that temple. And if you've locked the door... The enemy is smart enough to know, and he'll come through a window that you've left open, if you will, just to make a point and an example and illustration. So notice there, again, in verses 11 11 and 13, we are to put on the whole armor of God. This entire catalog that Paul provides for us here in the remainder uh, verses that make up our text that we're treating All of them. You have to put on each one of them, every item, because we mustn't be vulnerable in any area. Because the devil is smart enough to know that if if you're protecting yourself, like, for example, in the breastplate of righteousness, you know, come and hit you in the head, whereby you should have had your helmet of salvation on there. Okay? So just to make a point, 
example, illustration. And uh, so I, as we go through this, I want you to understand that each one of these items are extremely important. Okay, with that said, the first of which is, notice, let's go on now in verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So the first item that's a part of the armor of God is truth, right? Girded your waist with truth. And the picture there is sort of like a belt. And, and listen, remember, when Paul wrote this letter, this is uh, one of those epistles that uh, was known as a prison epistle. Paul wrote it when he was a prisoner in Rome, where he was shackled around the clock to one of, a, uh, one of the Roman guards, who, by the way, was dressed in all of these pieces of armor. So as he's, you know, himself... Uh, you know, reviewing all of those things, you know, he wrote it down and he, he, he thought that he would, uh, you know, use those as examples and illustrations of how we are to gird ourselves if, therefore, we are going to be victorious in battle, even as when the Roman soldiers went out to battle, they made sure that they had every one of these pieces of armor on. So this would be a fresh example and illustration for Paul to use, Right? Uh, he was shackled around the clock to one of these soldiers that had all of these articles of, of armor uh, on himself uh, personally. Okay, so the first piece is that we are to have this belt, if you will, of truth around us. Have your waist girded with truth. Why is this so important? Because Satan constantly comes against us with all kinds of lies. In fact, that's one of the devil's major weapons. In fact, the Bible recommends him to us in this way. He is the father of lies. Even as, think about this, as he came to Eve in the garden, right? And uh, in fact, if you quickly turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, let me show you something. I'm going to make you do a little bit of work here. But turn with me quickly to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Remember, after God had created the physical universe, and then finally he put the first man, the first woman, there in the garden to enjoy uh, all of what he had created. Remember, he commanded them to subdue all things. It was there for their taking. It was there for their enjoyment. There was only one restriction. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, wouldn't you know it, Along comes the devil, and now picking up in chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has, and notice this now, and this is exactly what he'll do to you, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, he says, no, you didn't hear him right. You didn't understand. No, he didn't mean that, Right? And, uh, you know, you'll be in a service like this, and I'll be sharing something. And, and uh, you'll leave here, and you'll run into someone who's being used by the devil and say, no, no, your pastor didn't mean that. That's, what the, that's not what the Bible actually means. You misunderstood him. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, and by the way, we know that this is the devil according to Revelation chapter 12 in verse 9, because there he is depicted as the serpent, Okay. So just in case any of you are confused about that. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, 
you know, all of the other trees that God had planted there in the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Guess what? Eve got it right. That's exactly what God had said to her. But notice, the devil goes on and plans doubt in her mind. He he challenges what this woman knows, what Eve knows. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, suggesting that God was keeping something good from them. And isn't that exactly the way that the devil goes about to entice you, to tempt you to sin, right? That experience is so desirable. You know, you're faced with some kind of a temptation, and it'll come right alongside you, and it'll say, listen, that experience is so desirable. It's beautiful. Surely God is not fair to withhold you from experience this exciting experience, or he didn't really mean that. Or he will tell you, you won't suffer any consequences in doing that. It doesn't really matter to God. You can get by without suffering any consequences. Say, listen, be sure there are consequences to the choices that we make. Or how about this? God's laws doesn't really apply to you in this particular case. It's for another age. It's for a Victorian age, a bygone age age. All of the things that are written in the Bible was written for another society, another culture, another generation, but it doesn't relate to us. You see, today we are more sophisticated, you see. And so Satan comes and seeks to rationalize our indulging ourselves after the appetites of the flesh. And so what do we need to do? The armor of God. I need to arm myself with the truth. I need to know the truth. And it is also important that I walk in the truth. For if we have deceit or unconfessed sin in our lives, guess what? The enemy has a foothold, right? And you see, sin has a way and habit of compounding itself. And it, up, it opens ourselves up for additional attacks of the enemy. And that's always true. It's always true. You know, because you kind of, you let yourself down, you give yourself over to some temptation, another temptation comes behind and you you begin to think, well, I've already blown it, I might as well go full blown, you know, I might as well really, like, enjoy my, you know, and give myself over to my flesh, I mean, I've already blown it, and uh, so I might as well just give myself over completely, I was holding back a a little bit, but since I've already sinned, you know. And we have a habit of doing that. Sin has a way of compounding itself, and it opens ourselves up for future attacks. But it'll also eat you up. It'll it'll totally eat you up, because God's hand will be heavy on you. God loves you so much that he's not going to let you get away with your sin. And he's going to reprove you. He's going to rebuke you. His hand will be heavy upon you. You know, the 32nd Psalm, the 32nd Psalm, in verses 3 and 4, If quickly you want to turn there, that would be okay. But in the 32nd Psalm, and I believe that this particular Psalm was written out of David's personal experience of his folly and his falling into adultery uh, with Bathsheba, which led to the murder of her husband Uriah. And uh, he thought he was really good and slick in hiding his sin. 
But, uh, but nevertheless, even before he was busted by the prophet Nathan, God's hand was heavy upon him. You know what I'm talking about? You know when you, when you give yourself over to some temptation or some sin, and it's like sort of like God is wrestling with you, even as Jesus wrestled with Jacob in the book of Genesis, you know, kind of a thing. He won't let you go. And it's, your sin is gnawing at you, right? And uh, there's a sense of your fellowship with God has been broken, and you don't have the assurance that God is going to work on your behalf because of your sin, and, you, and it's true. Your sin does separate you from God unless you confess that sin and get rid of it. And so in David's experience, notice there in the 32nd Psalm, in verses 3 and 4, he says, when I kept silent, that is when I didn't confess my sin, when I did everything that I could do to hide my sin from other people, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavily upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, he dried up spiritually. And that's always the effect that sin has on unconfessed sin. I'm so glad and thankful that 1 John tells us we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then God will take that sin and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. We're so thankful that we have that provision in Christ, right? But all of these things, it's so important for us to walk in the truth. Now, that brings, so that's the first item that I want to draw your attention to. And, and, and rightfully so. I, you, know, you, put the, you put the belt on and all of the other items that are a part of the armor of God were connected to the belt, interestingly enough. And so Paul got it right. He started there. Now, the second piece of armor that uh, Paul draws our attention to, let's go back to the book of Ephesians. I'm still in Genesis there is righteousness. Also there in verse 14, what does he say? He says, uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now that word righteousness conjures up uh, a picture in my mind. Basically, what Paul is referring to when he uses the word righteousness is simply, plainly, just doing the right thing. In other words, we've made a choice simply, justly, to do the right thing. Now, this is not an easy task that we're called to do because modern-day philosophy and the mores of our society challenges this idea by claiming it's all according to your particular circumstances, to your particular situation, whether it is right or whether it is wrong. There's no such thing as a universal right are wrong. It's all relative to your particular situation. It's called relativism, right? And so, uh, listen, you did what you had to do to survive, right? It wasn't right or wrong. You just simply did what you had to do. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. As we study the book of Ephesians together, we pray it has encouraged you to restore relationships. Unity can be such a hard task to accomplish, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, 
Unity binds us together in Jesus. If there's someone in your life that you need to reach out to today, know we are praying both for you and for them. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.